Hmm. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, as they say, better late than never. Uh, we had a little false start there. Uh, we were down to T-minus four seconds and had to stop because of weather. Uh, the internet went out, but we're back. So we're just going to trip the light and uh, start again because uh, we only were on about 30 seconds into the show. So good morning. This is OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick Timpone, and it is a Wednesday, uh, December 7, um, 2022, 1941. Uh, the uh, whole Pearl Harbor thing happened. Uh, you and I were probably not around, but my dad was. He came home uh, from, the, uh, from, the, from the war, and then I was born. I wonder how that happened. Um, uh, uh, if you'd like to be on the show, you can email us, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. We'll talk about the birds and the bees after this show when we do our own show uh, with you, between you and I, uh, around uh, oh, noon or so, somewhere around there, something, when we finish up with Fred Dashevsky. On the first Monday, Wednesday, I'll get it, first Wednesday of the month, we're visited by Fred Jashevsky. Fred buys and sells gold coins for a living. He is the former partner of the late Andrew Goss. Andrew Goss, who um, was uh, my mentor, and I suspect uh, for a certain extent, uh, Fred's mentor in the world of money, although Fred has been you know, right in the trenches along for many years, and he understands how this whole thing works. And we did a show with Andrew um, you know, every week for, gosh, since 2008, Andrew no longer is with us, so Fred now has his company that he rebooted from SDL to U.S. Coin Capital that you can see here, buys and sells gold coins uh, for a living. And Fred is with us this morning on the first Wednesday. Mr. Fred, good morning. Uh, sorry for losing you a few minutes ago. I don't know what happened. I just don't know what happened. Uh, you know, the Internet will be what it will be. It so will we be. deal with the technology and, you know, Yep. Do the best we can. We were we we were going about to start off, and it's a good place to start. You were telling us that um, the debt to GDP ratio in this country now is one hundred and twenty percent. So yeah, that's a bit alarming. Um, as I began to say, that's but, you know, um, there's a point at which the International Monetary Fund deems a country to be at risk. Financially, if they're at 77% GDP ratio to debt, uh, that is the alarm point at which uh, they begin to get concerned that financial stability is becoming questionable for that country. 77% of the money coming in being spent on debt is a problem. Uh Our country is now at 120% of GDP to debt. So that means every dollar that the United States government brings in from either bond sales or tax revenue, we're spending a dollar twenty. A dollar comes in, but we spend a dollar twenty. So and that seems yeah. unsustainable. So, so say uh, round numbers: four trillion comes in, twenty times four, twenty percent. So we spend one point eight, a uh, four point eight rather. Four point eight. Four point eight. Wow. And we're doing this on top of the existing amount of debt. The existing growth of interest payments on the debt because rates have gone up, which is now about a trillion and a half dollars. Is it a really year. that much? You had mentioned that it before. It is that much. One point yeah. five 
trillion, trillion. per year, year in interest payments. Let that right. puppy sink in, boy. Whoa. You know, 32 trillion in debt at 5%. You can do the math. That's exactly what it would come out to be. And um, that seems to be about the average rate of debt that we're paying. And the problem is, is that as interest rates go up, the carrying cost of the debt also increases, which puts a lot more pressure on the government to have to raise more money. So we're in a kind of a precarious position. But um, the alarming rate uh, which was released at 120% GDP to debt ratio has begin, begun uh, to concern a lot of foreign investors. And it has thwarted what had been a huge dollar rally that had gone on since the summer, you know, with the dollar had achieved levels it hadn't been at in 20 years. Right. It had been rising against the world's foreign currencies to a level where the index of that dollar uh, that we look at, the IDX, had hit about 115 it's slowly been dropping, but we're down to about 105 now, you know, indicating a sustained loss in, let's say, confidence in the U.S. dollar. And the more that the debt ratio grows, the more concerned foreign investors will become about our ability to repay our debt. So that is that what controls, Fred, the USD index that was 115 that is now 106? Is in is conf- a confidence from foreign investors and other people, oh, absolutely. hedge funds um, or whatever. You know, I, you know, if I were a conspiracy-minded person, you know who, God forbid, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one might argue that there was a concerted effort by central banks around the world over the summer and early fall to drive up the value of the dollar. In other words, let's say again. If I were a conspiracy-minded person, if you're a tinfoil hat guy, yeah, I understand. You know, one could argue that there was a, you know, some sort of a secret meeting. Everybody agreed that they would support the dollar, buy dollars very heavily across the end of the uh, summer and fall to drive up the dollar's value. And I think that would have been in anticipation of the quantitative tightening that is now going to go on through the Fed, which seems to have been a somewhat forgotten problem that we're going to be addressing coming into 2023. And I think the concern is, is that if the government is bleeding money at this massive pace and the country is running 120% GDP to debt ratio, and the Fed is now entertaining the idea that it's going to try to sell off from its monster-sized balance sheet all of these bonds that it bought during the quantitative easing process. When they were buying things, right? When they were buying things. When they things. were buying, right? So mm-hmm. in other words, they were throwing money at the treasury, absorbing all of the bonds that they could buy in order to push liquidity into the open market. And then the Fed would take those bonds and throw it on its balance sheet with the intention at some future point to turn around and sell them. But the amount that they accumulated to stimulate economic growth during the COVID crisis was so massive that it's just mathematically difficult to see how it would unwind in any short period of time. And even over two, three, or four years, it seems almost fundamentally impossible. But the Fed is saying it's going to start instituting this quantitative tightening. So it's now going to try to dump trillions of dollars worth of bonds back into the open market. And my question is, who's big enough to absorb that quantity of debt when the U.S. government is simultaneously trying to raise a trillion and a half dollars a year in new debt because it has to cover the interest payments on its existing uh, debt issue. It's not even logical I, what they're talking about, right? It's not even, yeah. You know. it's, it's rather confusing. And first of all, it's never been done. 
quantitative tithing is a brand new process. It's never been tried before by a central bank. Hmm. So this is sort of an economic experiment that could easily go awry. But I think subtly um, we're going to begin to see pressure on the U.S. dollar. And if I'm, you know, suspicious enough or conspiracy-minded enough, uh, you know, one could argue that this recent dollar rally was a precursor to the knowledge that this was about to begin. Hmm. But, you know, we'll only know about that so historically. Uh, I'm looking here now this morning as of, uh, well, actually today or yesterday, a few days ago, five and a half trillion of U.S. Treasury bonds, U.S. Treasury securities are on the balance sheet, five and a half trillion. Whoa. Right. Whoa. That's a lot. So, you know, how much per month? 400 billion, 500 billion, how many months would that take? 10, 12 months of selling at that pace? And who is out there with that kind of revenue to absorb that amount of debt? So is there a plan out there that we're strong arming foreign countries to say, listen, we're going to start unwinding this balance sheet and we need you guys to support. Yeah, I, I don't see that to you. I mean, if you look at the numbers of China and Japan and Saudi Arabia, everybody, it's it's been kind of going down a little bit, if anything. They've been selling a right. little bit, right? And, China's and been, been selling. Yeah. Their own, <laughs> and they're facing their own internal problems. Right. Their own currencies have been so weak. So, you know, a lot of them bought dollars as a safe haven and found themselves having to absorb quantities of U.S. dollars just to help stabilize the fall in their own currencies. Right. So in that environment, without the Federal Reserve being the end buyer of the bonds like they were during quantitative easing, you know, my question is, where does all this money come from? And if we're going to play the game that we've been playing the past 12 years now, since roughly 2008, you know, I'm going to say that we're going to print our way out of this problem the way we have others. And I, I really am very disconcerted by this, that this has now become a, a normal option. Printing our way out of economic problems should be an option of last resort, an emergency process, not something that becomes the standard. We now do it every day, like, oh, yeah, we'll just print more money to solve that problem, and we'll print more money to solve this problem, and we'll just keep inflating the crap out of dollars ad infinitum until we can get a handle and control over the levels at which we're manipulating the economy. But the numbers, they're, they're kind of big. Well, as Andy's uh, classic saying was, you know, whenever he talked about people going to crash, he said, remember what he used to say? Oh, it's not going to crash until they run out of zeros. And maybe, out of zeros. maybe he was right. The dirt is going to keep running this thing until, what do we, just scream, got, storm the castle with pitchforks and when milk is $15 a gallon? I don't know. Interesting. I don't know either, but, you know, little by little, if they can continue to pull these games off and perpetrate the idea that somehow they're going to manage this, then the confidence will remain. But my concern is that the farther away we move from reality, you know, the farther we get from reasonableness. Right. And any reasonable person looking at a government that's, you know, spending a dollar twenty for every dollar it brings in is going to be no more comfortable with that than an individual who's spending more money than they bring in with all their income. Right. You know, at some point, you're not going to be a willing loaner to somebody if you don't foresee that there's any possibility they could ever repay that debt. And it doesn't seem, I don't know, just from the cheap seats here, Fred Jaszewski, that if if they're going to continue to raise interest rates, which is really the only thing the Fed can do, and then buy bonds. They can buy stuff and then raise interest rates, right? Those are their two 
main tools. I, they can buy mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. And then if the gross domestic product is really slumpy because people are they're running out of money because of inflation, right? And they're building credit. Have you seen some of the consumer credit numbers? Man, credit cards, people are running out of, they're running on empty. So, well, they're spending a lot of money, that's for sure. Yeah. So we, we are at least seeing some economic activity in the United States, unlike Europe and Asia, you know, where the COVID shutdowns in China have caused lots of problems that are bleeding over to U.S. companies that sell product to China. We're seeing slowdowns around the world. The one benefit we've had in the United States is the consumer is still spending money. They may be doing it by raising debt on their credit card. They are, I but think. But there's activity in the economy, and that helps. But then, but then, where I was going with it, Fred, is that you just don't see there. There's no way. There's no there there as far as going back to normal, whatever that is. Is there? I mean, what would what could initiate it politically or federal central bank actions to change? To change the well, mechanism, to change the, 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 the trajectory. You know what I'm asking? What would change? Yes, I do. And, uh, and there only is one option. That, that is a budget surplus. Oh, God. That is a government running a budget surplus. Not so, in other happen, words, right? if somehow <laughs> the government can manage to control its deficit spending, the interest on the debt, all of its current expenditures, and generate enough revenue, whether that be from you know tax revenue or sales or increase the GDP, if we can get back to a point where we had in 2001, which was a false environment, but they did at least say we had a budget surplus. That was Clinton's game of taking Social Security's right, yeah. available fund and throwing it on top of the general budget and then calling that, oh, look, we have extra money, so we'll call that a surplus. But even given that nonsense, if you argue there was a surplus in 2001, that allows the government to bring down these numbers and change the direction and trajectory. If we don't have budget surpluses and continue to run budget deficits, then we continue on this track. And this problem is going to get progressively worse because it's going to force two things, higher interest payments, lower amounts of available capital to the general public, mm. and an increasing need of the government to raise revenue one way or the other, which the way I see it, Printing our way out of the problem seems to be the choice of method to deal with this issue, which means effectively we can expect our U.S. dollar to buy a lot less in the next five years than it's buying now. And I would think that's going to drive the value of physical assets significantly higher in the next five years. Huh. You're not making an argument that there could gold could go up in value in the next five years, are you? I do. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do I believe that we've seen a lot of manipulation in gold this year. We're pretty much flat for the year. And given everything that we've done this year, that's amazing. But again, we had a false dollar rally, uh, again, perpetrated by weakness around the world that left people with little, little option mm. but to look mm. at the U.S. dollar as a safe haven. But that confidence in the U.S. dollar is fading. And I think the more that people look, you know, independently at the status of the U.S. dollar situation, it's not going to be a comfortable environment for them to say, this is my safe haven bet. You know, I, I don't feel as if I say to you, you're safe, Patrick, putting your long-term capital in U.S. dollars right now, put it in the bank, let them pay whatever minimal interest, and five years from now, you'll be good having done that. I, I don't believe that's the case. Yeah. 
And you know, politically, there's a there's a whole lot of stuff going on with with China and and, and other places, Saudi Arabia, that is not good for this country. Where they're in no mood to really be helping us. I mean, they they just aren't. You know, we no. you know this administration's out there bad mouthing China every chance they get. You know, they're they're the the villain along with Russia. So she yeah, is we're over, not making it easy. That's for no, sure. No, I mean, no, you know. No. If we want to start adding the political nonsense, if you will, that has to go along with all this stuff. <laughs> Makes it crazy. So we have to walk this tightrope of, you know, keeping everybody around the world comfortable with the idea of stockpiling U.S. dollars and subsequently, you know, politically not pissing them off so that they have any incentives to want to push back against using U.S. dollars. But, you know, again, by default, there aren't a lot of options left. I just find it, you know, a little disheartening that we are left as a nation with a country that has a currency system that's under this kind of pressure, it's been manipulated so hard the past few years. And every once in a while, the gap between, you know, what they'd like us to believe and reality catch them by surprise, so to speak. And, you know, we get these massive movements in the currency values and the value of things like gold and silver. But I think the next few years going forward are going to be, you know, pretty difficult for the Fed to manage this interesting game plan they have, you know, they're like a football coach. They've got their game plan and they're going to try to run it, but you know, what else are they going to do? Right. What else are they going to do? Because there's no way you, you could, well, I guess there's a way, but I don't see it uh, feasible that the, the government uh, could get in there and cut a trillion and a half dollars off of their, their yearly expenditures. Where is that going to come from? I mean, how do they well, do? Well, not, not without any political oh my God. backwash, yeah. right? So are they going to cut some sort of government services to that degree? Are they going to, you know, stop doing these bailouts and stop burning money for every problem that comes up? Since I don't see that they have very many other options, mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is going to come to an end in that way. And I just think that we're going to be looking five years from now, and we shouldn't be surprised that there was a massive explosion in the quantity of money that exists and continued government intervention and central bank intervention trying to sustain this game that we're playing and hoping that the public does not see the gap between, you know, perception and reality. Well, they see it. I mean, you can see some of the blogs out there. There's people that are on this, and they know Lots of folks know what you know what's going on. Uh, wow, Fred Dushevsky's with us. Patrick Timpone, One Radio Network dot com. Um, so it feels like this whole petrodollar thing with you. You know, will will you'll sell your oils for dollars because, and then you can use those dollars to buy our treasuries, right? That was the model, wasn't it? Pretty much for sure. for a long time. And that's all just fading away. That's all just fading away. Well, remember, you know, oil had been the world's commodity, you know, since around, what, the 1940s or so, you could suggest that the commodity in the world that represented everything that mattered was oil. oil. It represented everything because it provided all the energy for every country and every facet you can think of. So the producers of oil and those that controlled oil they became the key players. Mm-hmm. We obviously saw this, you know, develop uh, in the 1970s, the response of the oil producing countries when, you know, we indicated to the world after 1971 
that we've force-fed dollars to oil-producing countries since the end of World War II, since the 1940s, forcing them to stockpile dollars because we required the oil reserves to be paid for in U.S. dollars. And then suddenly now, having forced them to stockpile all these dollars, we suddenly tell them that these dollars are no longer backed by anything tangible, and they're just supposed to accept that. And they responded. And the response was massive. We saw the price of oil and gas increase in the United States to a point where it became part of the inflationary problem in the early 70s. And the pushback was huge. And oil remained the resource, the commodity of the world until the last, let's say, eight or nine years where it has now been taken over for the first time since the 1940s. The new commodity in the world is information. Hmm. It is now the number one commodity around the world. The selling of your data for all the little bits and dips and gyps of data that are taken from you for every, you know, internet search and every web that you go to and everything that you touch on the World Wide Web, all the resources to gather that information, resell it, package it, and market it, the information has now taken over oil as the number one resource around the world. Hmm. But we're still fighting a problem where if we push back too hard and create problems to the people that control the energy around the world, you know, there's going to be some issues and we are dependent on it. Real strong pushback. So we have to balance this act between keeping that aggressive demand for the U.S. dollar sustainable not pissing off the people that produce all the energy and yet, you know, not create a problem where we lose control over the ability to control the value of money. This is an unusual circumstance. Oh, really? And it's really unprecedented. We're really in the middle of it, aren't we? And, and no matter what one says about this Green New Deal and all this stuff that they're trying to foment, in my opinion, um, oil is going to be around as the major juice for a long time it just is right? i think so too on, you know just, i think it'll be a long time before we ever get off that you know oil teat and obviously then the control over the uh quantity of oil that is produced is going to provide for some an awful lot of leverage and power in the world's economic environment and you know you bet. that's fine um you know those that have it can control it and that's that's okay it's just a question of dependency of the united states and you know again it relates to the u.s dollar uh, because we have made this requirement since World War II that, you know, dollar and oil uh, are related as right. gold and oil and dollars are. So I just worry about going forward, how this is all going to play out. And then, you know, as we move forward too, you know, what happens as we move more into the digital world? So, you know, the idea of central banks and digital currencies coming out of central banks starts to also to become a new issue that we have to address. And, Little by little, I think it's probably going to be a decade out, but we may eventually see the paper money that we have used fade away, yeah. and it all turns into digital currency. And at that point, you know, the problem, as I see it, just just grows. Yeah, you know, we uh, lose complete control uh, over our. I don't economy. think it's going to be that long, myself, my opinion. I don't think it's going to be that long, but you may be right. But you know, to to add to this, you know, Biden went over to. Uh, Saudi Arabia, what, three or four months ago, wanting more oil, and it was a very muted kind of a little, they bumped fist and that was it, and you're out of here. And then they said, no, no we're not going to do anything. Now they got Xi, that dude to China, going over there for a three-day 
massive visit. I mean, they're making a big deal out of it. You know, red carpets and bands and, and so sure. he, he knows what's going on. He knows where the oil is. That's a Chinese guy, and that's why he's over there, right? And they, they're going to do some deals, big deals, big deals. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. And, yeah. and you know, so we're going to have to see how the powers play out. You know, it is a power play, and we're just sort of left uh, languishing here, waiting for the onslaught of whatever the results are going to be. But, uh, you know, I always harken back to how does this affect the U.S. dollar? And if we can continue to put pressure on foreign countries to, you know, maintain those dollar reserves, all will be fine, as they say, right? Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to be on the show, you can uh, email us, patrickoneradionetwork.com. Oh, you already answered this, but it's a good question. Jeremy says, um, so why hasn't I bought some gold? <laughs> few years ago but why hasn't it gone up in value if all this is so out of control thanks that's a good question you know kind of explain to jeremy why the, the gold has really been flat the, the spot price right but that doesn't mean that what you have jeremy is is not a good deal you should hang on right oh yeah you know the idea that gold has sustained its price throughout this year is actually pretty impressive um you know a lot of things have also gone you know poorly throughout the year i mean not that I put them in the same category, but what the cryptos are down 65% this year. And, you know, the Dow is also pretty much flat for the year. But the rationale, uh, the reason why we haven't seen more upward movement in the price of gold in US dollar terms is that the dollar rallied tremendously in the summer and fall. So it wasn't because the dollar had actually gotten stronger domestically, it wasn't because things had improved. It wasn't because the government was doing a better job sustaining the value of money or, you know, controlling deficit spending or anything positive. It was just that relative to the rest of the world, we looked pretty good. And and it forced people that had wealth outside the U.S. to buy U.S. dollars as a default. And that left the dollar strengthening against other currencies. And by default, the dollar rallying against the other world currencies meant in dollar terms, gold prices went down. So at one point, oh, maybe two months ago, when the dollar peaked at about 115 on that index, gold was around 1630 per ounce in US dollars. Today, we're at $1,780 in US dollar terms per ounce for gold. So it's gone up quite a bit since the dollar rally began to fade. And it is only because the dollar rallied against world currencies this year, that gold did not move up more. But I don't think people should um, translate that to mean that there was really no benefit to holding gold. It clearly sustained its buying power this year, which by itself is a very powerful asset to have. And going forward, I think the inflation problem will drive the dollar value down across the world's currencies and we will see gold prices climb going forward hmm. so you think this uh the dollar going down now <clears throat> do you think it's going to be on the way down from here or what's your take on that i think it's more likely that the dollar is going to continue to fade um because i think what drove it up is coming to an end and i think we're going to have to face some reality i think once quantitative tightening starts I think that that is going to be a very large 
variable on the impact of the entire U.S. economy. I think it's bigger than most people are anticipating. I think the size of this problem has sort of become, you know, a a, a back paced issue that people are not really paying attention to it's got put on the back burner to the point where it's almost being ignored and and this is natural i mean you know we are living in a world where every day every five minutes there's quote unquote breaking news or you know the current news story of the day or whatever is absorbing people's mindset for short term and they sort of forget what's happening on the broader picture behind the scenes and quantitative tightening has sort of gone unnoticed for a while it was a big problem that people were paying attention to as the Fed began to announce how they planned to deal with it, but that it sort of got lost in translation, if you will. And I think it's going to turn out to be one of the biggest problems we face going forward. I find it very difficult to understand how the Fed can take $5 trillion worth of bonds and potentially sell that back into an open market of an economy when simultaneously the government has a trillion and a half dollars worth of debt every year that it's adding to that it has to somehow raise revenue to pay. So while we have a government that needs to raise huge amounts of money, <clears throat> pardon me, on a monthly basis, simultaneously the Fed is going to try to unwind its balance sheet. My question is, what entity is large enough to absorb trillions of dollars worth of bonds i don't know that there's anything out there that big mm. and that means that we're going to probably end up printing our way out of this problem just like we printed our way out of every other issue since 2008 so what, what you're saying is and what looks like it's going to happen they're not going to do anything with what they've got and they're just going to they're just going to buy buy more and that's going to cause inflation to continue to go right it has to right well, I think, you know, the Fed is going to make an effort. They, they insist that they're going to try to unwind this balance sheet. Yeah, well, so they're know, gonna, they say a lot know, of do things. Do the reverse. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just don't know how this functions. I, I really am struggling trying to get my head wrapped around how they plan to do that. It would be difficult enough if the government, if the Fed was not trying to unwind its balance sheet simultaneously when the government has to raise the amount of money it has to raise even the government's needs to raise a trillion and a half dollars a year to cover the interest payments alone would be problematic by itself that would be enough to raise my eyebrow of concern <laughs> but we're going to do that at the same time the fed is going to try to unwind its balance sheet and i just find this problematic so it just seems to me the default process has always been one way or the other however they you know, create the mechanism, whether they come up with something brand new or use one of the old standards, it's going to pre print, 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 print. And, uh, you know, the public be damned. And, you know, if we inflate the value out of money, well, so be it because we don't have any other choice. But there, there has to be a, um, I don't know if there has to be, but then we say that there is a, there is a tipping point where the people just have had enough of the, the rising prices? I mean, no? Yep, and by default, what they do is, you know, if they lose confidence in the dollar, they start buying other assets. Okay. You know, I've, I've talked about this, like, you know, why do people look at cryptos as weird as they are? Or right. why do people look at these other alternative areas? If the dollar were a stable uh, currency, there would be no need to look elsewhere. But the fact that we have these problems makes people concerned. And it makes people wonder whether or not they're being prudent 
and having money sitting in bank accounts. I mean, we're hearing from a lot of people that are sitting on an awful lot of capital and month after month, that concern is growing to the point where they're coming to the conclusion they need to diversify their wealth. And this is the way I would suggest that people approach this. We don't really know going forward exactly what's going to happen. We can speculate and we've been pretty good about estimating the onslaught of what's happening just based on the numbers of what the Fed has been doing. But every once in a while, we get thrown a few curveballs. You know, COVID was something we didn't anticipate before it happened. And the results of how the economy would be post-COVID or what the government would do to respond to COVID. None of those things could have been anticipated. And it turned out to be the most significant economic issue since 2020. So for two years, the economy has been dominated by an event nobody could have foreseen. What are we are going? What are we going to see two years from now or three years from now? Will there be any other black swan or exogenous events that come up? And if there aren't, how are we going to address what we've already done? Again, I, I harken back to this, and I know I've said this a hundred times. We are still dealing with what we did in two thousand and eight. That crisis was so massive that the cost of it is still being paid for in today's dollars. On top of that, we've now added what we've done since 2020, and I believe 10 years from now, God willing, you and I are still having these conversations in a decade, we will still be talking about the fact we're paying off what we did to address the issues from 2020. And I think the public has got to be mindful of the result of this in most likely cases is it will end up with a significantly weaker U.S. dollar. And I would absolutely encourage people to learn from history and say, just diversify your wealth. Make sure that at least something you're doing for your future isn't counting on this paper money hmm. to buy the same amount of goods and services in the future as it's buying today. I don't foresee how that is likely or even possible. Yeah. And, and I think it's uh, fair to argue that most folks do not understand, as you well know. Um, look at this um, this election yesterday in Georgia. They elect a Democrat, and now so they yep. Warnock. Uh, Warnock, and so now they control the Senate. I think fifty-one forty-nine, and these folks are spending money like a drunken sailor, as the saying goes, right? And people didn't think about that when they voted for Warnock. Or, you know. I mean, they could have slowed it down a little bit, maybe voting for Walker, maybe, but maybe, you know, you know, again, there's political expediency. And, and you yeah. know, you brought this up before about, you know, how uh, we are addressing things like China and having meetings with, you know, the leaders of China and, and what's happening with Russia. So you've got political events that are taking hold. The problem becomes that, you know, if, if I elected you president tomorrow, whether you be Democrat or Republican, you face some pretty tough choices and you're now looking at the books and I'm showing you where we stand. And I'm saying to you, President Patrick, you have to decide how do we address the problem? Somehow we have to slow down the, the spending, but somehow we have to keep the public happy. If we want to encourage people to vote for us, you know, you got to give the public what they want. And Everybody is at this point now where it's like, well, give me the money, show me the money, I want the money. You know, that's all they care about. 
Well, I they think uh, President Patrick would do what he did in his screenplay that it's getting some quite a bit of notice is you send in the Army, take over the Fed, print the United States notes, and, and, okay. and you know, just do that, and then you don't care about your second term because you just got to fix the thing. So, Well, there you go. Okay, so <laughs> what you've done is you've ripped the Band-Aid off, right? <laughs> Instead of slowly pulling this yeah. thing off right. over a period of time, <laughs> as President Patrick you're going to say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take the punch in the face. We're going to stand there, yeah. you know, and let Mike Tyson in his heyday smack you right in the face. It's going to hurt like hell. You're going down to the canvas. You're not getting up. But you know what? The fight is over. It's done. That's right. And you have faced the beast. You've addressed the issue. It's going to be really horrific for a period of time. But the issue is done. But nobody, nobody in any kind of political venue these days has the, forgive me, the balls. I know. To take that kind of hit. Well, it's a work they of fiction. You know, what can I tell you? <laughs> right. That's because no one has got the, the guts to be able to do that. Right. And right. I don't think the public would really want us to do that, per se. Even well, they though, wouldn't, unless they really understood, you know, unless they really understood. Yeah, it's kind of a hard hard thing to get people to recognize. You yeah. know, do you want to take this massive hit to the value of your money tomorrow for the sake of the future of the country? Or would you rather see the bleeding continue? I, I remember the Reagan years where we were about to cross the streams, as they said in Ghostbusters. You know, crossing the streams is bad. So the Reagan years was the first time that the U.S. government faced the overwhelming problem of the government was about to start spending more money than they were bringing in, and it was going to start putting pressure on the ability to repay debt, and they had a choice. They could have slammed on the brakes, in other words, stop government spending, and the economy would have gone to a hell of a stall, you know, like an airplane, just pointing it straight up, and, and you're cutting out the engine, you're done. The thing is going to start plummeting that earth. It would have been ugly, it would have been hard for the public, but it would have dealt with the problem. The other option, step on the gas and spend like crazy, knowing that you're gonna blow out the deficits in five years or 10 years, but also understanding politically, you'll be gone by the time the problem shows up and won't have to take the heat for it, except historically. But in the short term, you look like a hero because the economy is gonna go gangbusters. You know, we had the roaring 20s, and we had the Roaring 80s, and they were very similar historically. They were a massive amount of government spending, stimulating economic activity. The public loved it because short-term, it was the go-go 80s, lots of money available, cheap and readily available. People could borrow money for next to nothing, spend like crazy, and everybody felt wonderful about the economy. A few people stood up at that point and said, you know, this is horrible. This is a bad choice. A few years from now, we're going to look back and feel like, what were we thinking? But that was the option then. And they chose the politically expedient option. I don't see anybody coming into, you know, the current environment politically that's going to take on the idea of what you would do as no, president. No, no, I, I, I don't think you, they wouldn't let a man want, you know, if they knew he had this in mind, right? No, who would want that? You know, who's going to take it if a, if, a, if a political party comes and says to you, look, you know, we're going to fix the economy, but you're going to hate us for five years. You know, but, I mean, but, but let's look at straight. that a second. Would, 
would uh, my fictional uh, screenplay if you did that why would why would things get bad why would things be bad all of a sudden i mean uh, what's what would change well, you're going to cause a massive amount of inflation i mean if you suddenly print all the money out of the treasury to pay off all of the federal no 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 we wouldn't do that we wouldn't do that what you would just do is have people trade in their federal reserve notes for united states notes and then use the federal reserve notes to pay off the debt Okay. Well, again, you know, you. <laughs> well, that's a nice that's, little game of. of that's it's the, like the, that's game, the right? thing right. that Andrew talked right. about for years and was the pre- is the premise of the screenplay. He talked well, about sure. that 20 years ago. And the idea is that at that point going forward, what you've accomplished, which would be wonderful in and of itself, mm. is that the cost of future money would be controlled. So we're going to cut out the middleman going forward. Yeah, just Instead United of, States you know, notes and yeah. Right. So instead of the government having to borrow money through the Fed, paying the Fed its interest payments and the gap between the cost of the printing and right. the face mm-hmm. value of the seniorage, that all now gets covered and, and retained by the public instead of being distributed through yeah. the Federal Reserve System. Yeah. And, and that's the fairest form that. of taxation, right? Just as you print more money, then prices go up a little bit. Yeah. That's sure. the fairest form of taxation you can get. You could yeah, end you could end the income tax. You could end the income tax. And then tax. at that point, theoretically, you know, the public can say to the government, we want you to slow down your spending. And, you know, again, uh, we can control that a lot more because if we don't like what the government does in response to our public demand, now we can vote you out of office. Yeah. We have an option here. You know, we, we can put somebody else in who at least believes they may have a plan that's better than yours. And if their plan doesn't work, well, then we throw you out and put somebody else in until somebody comes along that comes up with a solution that's palpable. So it does empower the people if we take out the Federal Reserve and we go back to U.S. Treasury issuing notes directly into the economy. That would be a powerful change. But in this world, do we really believe that the Federal Reserve bankers who have spent how far back you want to go? Uh, I mean, 1791, right? I mean, the first... 1792, right? right. First you Bank of the United States, far. right? <laughs> Even if we want to talk about it from 1913, right. where do you want to start? At some point, are these bankers that spent all of these decades gaining control over the issue of money, are they going to walk away? No. And suddenly just say, well, okay, yeah, you guys take this over and we'll just fade away to the background like we never existed. I, I don't No, they do a lot that. of stuff to to our guy in the in the in the screenplay. They try to <laughs> kick his ass every time he turns around, and that's what they would do. And they would sure. do they would do that. And well, they'd apply all kinds of all pressure. kinds I of mean, stuff. They try to kill him, and they they, they try to do a lot of things. And they yeah, would do look it. Look at the things we've done to you know other political people around the world that even mess that have with ever it. threatened the dollar status. You know, right. we can we can list that list is probably five pages long. And then we start getting into CIA conspiracies and all these kinds of things, you know, most of which historically now will probably turn out to have been truth. Sure, sure. You know, I heard yesterday that they're about to release information on Lee Harvey Oswald and his relationship we, with the CIA. We, we interviewed, uh, excuse me, uh, let me get, fill you in. We interviewed a fellow who's been behind the whole movement to bring out oh, from right. the Mary, Mary something.org about two, year, two months ago. Um, Two weeks ago, uh, Morley is his name, uh, 
And I think on December 10th, he said they, they, this is the date that they have to do it. Or they're supposed to do it, but both Biden, Fred, and, and Trump refused to do it, both of them. So they're not sure. Have you seen anything saying they are going to release it? No. All okay. I've seen is that this was the purported date they were supposed December to. December 10th, and correct. we're already hearing rumors that they're, they're not. trying to come up with some rationale to say right. uh, we, we can't or we won't. Right, right, but, right, right, right. you know, just think about how long it's been. You know, it I was know. November 22nd, 1963. This is December 7th, 2022. I know. We're still waiting for that information yeah. to come public. You know, my point being, I don't see the Federal Reserve bankers fading away quietly if President uh, Patrick takes over and tries to retain the yeah. issue of money coming directly from the Treasury. And just so that the public understands this, what you're discussing here is the idea that, in theory, the U.S. Treasury Department has all of the authority it needs to directly print money. It does. It does not need to sub that job out through a privately owned central bank it does we do this for the expediency of having this central bank be a backstop to the u.s banking system and to provide support for the u.s dollar and their job requirement is to sustain the value of money and to maintain a low level of unemployment my question is since 1913 how would we assess their job how would we assess how well they're just doing? Just a mess. Just a mess. Well, the dollar has lost 98% of its yeah, value. That's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? 98% of its value. Wow. Right, gone. Boo. And remember, until 1971, hmm. 72, 73, let's say you wanted to buy an ounce of gold. You know, what would it have cost you in 1971 or 72? It would have been about $35. Yeah, yeah. for an ounce of gold right and today it would cost you you know about 1800 to buy the same ounce of gold why has the price changed why is the value of the same quantity of gold continually increasing against the quantity of dollars it's because we have nothing constraining the quantity of money being printed and nothing backing the money right. you know i've asked this question recently just as a precursor to an interesting conversation if i owed you twenty dollars and i hand you one of these twenty dollar federal reserve notes why is it you accept it as a form of payment the general answer most people give is well, we you know it's, we it's what we've got and it's what we're used to and we don't think twice about it because you know you could take my twenty dollar bill and go spend it at your local supermarket and buy some goods and services and you are certain, you have absolute certainty that they will accept it as right. a form of They'll take it. Here you go. They'll take but if we strip that away, just the idea that because we're used to it and because it's all we've got, what defines that note as having value? I would argue there basically is one thing. Confidence. It's the fact that the U.S. government will always take it for tax payments. Oh. And since we always know that the government will require us to pay taxes, we know there is an end user for those dollars. If you became dubious about accepting my method of payment with that $20 bill, you would always know that, well, if I took Fred's 20, I could always give it to my local tax requirement right. for payment. House payment. For federal. Now, you, don't have a, you don't have a state income tax in Texas, no, is that right? No. That's amazing, yeah. So it just goes to show that 
governments can operate without an income tax. In fact, the federal government operated without an income tax until 1913. Yeah. Did not require an income tax from the public. Isn't that amazing? From 1777 until 1913. Wow. Why did they suddenly require an income tax? Because they had created a central bank that was about to start printing money, and they couldn't simply put money into an economy one way without having a way of drawing some of it out Otherwise, the inflation problem would be obvious. Yeah, that, was, that was the real reason, right, Fred, for the income tax. They, they, the they, they knew they needed to suck it out because they got the central bank starting in uh, 1913, right? Wow. Absolutely. What a Which trip. is why simultaneously the income tax was established at the exact same time as we created the Federal Reserve System. Yeah. So effectively, we could eliminate both. And I think if you did what President Patrick would do <laughs> and eliminated the Federal Reserve, I think subsequently we could also turn around and eliminate the income tax. However, sure, sure, unfortunately, we have to address the fact that between 1913 and 2022, the government has managed to a massive debt of $32 trillion yeah. and is now paying interest payments that are so large that and, the interest payments alone are the second largest item on the government's budget. And this is a fine point, but that number can't be right, is it? I mean, that number's barely moved for the last five years. It was like $29 trillion and all this new money. I don't think that's substantially, a, but what they're discounting I don't think that's a good are number. things they don't want to include. Oh, you think? <laughs> okay, so all they're counting is that is what they call public held debt held by the public. Debt held by the that's public. That's the $32 trillion number that they put out. Isn't, is that Federal Reserve debt, debt too? No. Well, what they don't count are obligations of the federal government that are not due today. So, for example, mm. if Social Security has a deficit of $3 Which trillion, dollars, but the money isn't due until next year, they don't count that. If 170 various government trust funds are owed money that the government is required to pay, yeah, doesn't have the money for right now, but the money isn't due for two years or three years or five they don't years, count that. that is not counted. And if you start adding in all the things that the government doesn't count, that $32 trillion number explodes. And, you know, we've heard what, what it is in reality. You know, I've heard $70 trillion, $65 You know, the number is massive. And if we really dealt with that reality, then the interest payments would be double what they are now. The need of the government would be more exacerbated than it is today. And even under president patrick we wouldn't probably be able to stop the need for an income tax because the government's need to raise revenue is so vast i don't think it could sustain itself if it didn't have that revenue stream coming in so i don't think the uh, income tax would fade away even if you were successful in getting rid of the federal reserve system well, as a whole. And, a, and a real issue i think uh uh that's a kind of the sleeping giant is all these pension funds you know they're we saw there was one, one, yeah, one, yeah, one pension fund, Fred, that was into this FTX thing, you know, this crazy crypto yeah, yeah. bomb thing, which was just a Ponzi scheme of not, this. These people, these kids were well, crazy. So, okay, so, so there's so one, FTX there's one pension using, fund in in uh, in um, in uh, let's see, in Canada, where had ninety million dollars lost on this deal. What are those people yep. going to do, man? Nothing. Well, again, if they banked on these cryptos, I'm afraid that was their fault. You know, I've said from the very beginning, I've had concerns about the crypto world, 
because of the nature of it being yeah, unregulated. Yeah, but now, let's, not, let's not bundle this thing with Bitcoin. This was a whole different thing than Bitcoin. Yes, this okay. was Alameda. Okay, yeah, and it was just a, it was a Ponzi one. scheme. It was not Bitcoin. Just let's be fair there. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, what this was was uh, FTX used its trading arm Alameda to make extremely risky bets. You think? <laughs> and as the bets went against them, they continued to double down and try to make these things work, but eventually got themselves so over leveraged that they had to start selling off whatever assets they had, which were their cryptos and the currencies that they created. And when that wasn't sufficient. Uh, people that were holding they start this quote-unquote asset, right? asset decided they wanted out. And as multiple people rushed to try to liquidate simultaneously, it became very clear and very obvious that there just simply wasn't enough money, and boom, the massive implosion. You know, it's like a bank run yeah. if you isolate a single bank, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the bank didn't have a backstop. It did not have uh, a, a banking system or a government or Congress that was providing insurance policies against no FDIC insurance. <coughs> so the Alameda was the, the the young girl who was who was losing a lot of money. That this this SB whatever his name is, F he, he was giving her money to to keep her afloat. The Alameda thing. Yeah, right? it was the trading arm of FTX, and uh -huh. you know, again, they just simply imploded because they took risky bets that they couldn't cover, uh, uh -huh. and again, it got out of control. But the unregulated nature of these cryptos is what creates part of this problem. And I've argued from the beginning that this is a flaw. And when you have an unregulated market, it allows for a lot of things to occur that wouldn't be able to happen in regulated industries. And I think the more that these things blow up, the more that you know it, it's gonna lead to Congress wanting or the public demanding that all of these quote-unquote assets be more heavily regulated to avoid these kinds of yeah but you know you get the government involved and they don't know what the hell they're doing regulate what well, what are you going to regulate well, you know with bitcoin fred sure it's just a digital thing but all people are doing is buying and selling you don't need a government in there to control that they already know what if you got any right it's all it's sure. all yeah it's, all, it's not like you're going to evade taxes with it but, uh, you know, my, I'll put on my tinfoil hat, I think this whole thing was a controlled operation. I think that this was, this SBF guy was their patsy, their Lee Harvey Oswald, and uh, that's why you'll see, he'll, I don't think he'll ever go to jail because he's got cover. I think this was a whole thing to really uh, lower confidence in the whole crypto world. That's my tinfoil hat yeah, statement and, certainly possible and boy I mean, and just like you just said people are starting to use the term crypto right bitcoin they're they're putting sure. them all together in one basket and it's it's going to hurt bitcoin whether or not you believe in bitcoin or not it's going to hurt them this absolutely SPF, right and, and it it yeah. does represent the nature of the problem so you know the question is we've we've decided for example you know again just to mention bitcoin as yeah. a specific example the idea was because there was going to be a limit on how many of them could be created. And there still is. That, that established value. There still is limit. Okay, so that establishes the value. But the question is, what price does that define the value as? That's left to the open market to decide. It's left to anybody willing to hold Bitcoin. How much is that worth? So, for example, if I could create an item of limited supply, I just make a new item 
and I'm going to make, uh, well, it never could be, but we'll call them Fred Dollars, and I'm only going to make <laughs> a thousand of them, right. and I somehow yeah. indicate that there'll never be another one made. That's it. There'll be a thousand that's Fred Dollars. Do that's what, that's now, all you got. Does that automatically give them value? Does that automatically define what value that gives them? No Somebody more than the dollar. It's just, it's just made up anyway, right? It's made up, but, you know, is there demand for it? Yeah. Now, if somebody says, well, I like Fred, and I believe that he's, he's a good financially guy. stable, <laughs> so maybe I'll hold Fred dollars, and maybe somebody else will believe it. You know, somebody made the funny analogy on CNBC yesterday that hmm. cryptos were like Chuck E. Cheese dollars. You know, they're good within Chuck E. Cheese. But take a Chuck E. Cheese dollar and try to spend it at McDonald's. It doesn't work. Yeah, you know, the whole so, idea of using cryptos to buy stuff, Andy was on it early on, and he... It just didn't pan out. It's never panned out, right? I mean, he, it's never panned it's out. Just I mean, a, Jamie Diamond has called it pet rocks. You know, that's how he. Looked at it. <laughs> I mean, people. And I realize he's the you know he's the strongest. Yeah, uh, it tried to pick up know, steam at some point, right? Like Tesla would say, yep. "Well, you could buy a Tesla." We, nobody even talks about it anymore. You know about yeah, that quickly faded. That right? quickly faded, boy. That was quick, wasn't it? Boom, boom. So therein lies the problem. Right. That okay, there is a limited amount. But does that necessarily define the value? And no, so it's just going to be a thing price. where to buy and sell. People are going to, that's just like any other commodity, right? You buy and sell it. Right, but without a functional utility, it has its fundamental problems. So yeah. we'll see in the future how, how that plays out. And that's why a lot of people look at these central bank digital currencies and they try to put them together. I think they can't be. There is a vast no, it's going to be a dip, big difference yeah. between these things, between cryptos mm -hmm. and a digital currency coming out of a exactly. central bank, exactly. a government central bank. You know, and we've, we've got it explained to us by some people in the know that it's not even going to be a currency, Fred. It's going to be a central bank digital coupon. So, well, sure. So what it's going to be, and with the people that really believe they understand this, it's going to be if they give Fred 500 CBCDs, right? Fred, this is going to be tied into your telephone, your social credit score, your um, your medical records, your credit score, everything, and then they can control what you can buy with those five hundred, right? Well, yeah, that this, is the most. This is where the they're. This is where they're going, Freddie. You watch them, and then if Fred's got a high cholesterol level, and you go into Safeway and you want to get a pizza with your little D, and they'll they'll have right. it right there. It's all in a digital. That's what this five G thing is about. And they say, no, Fred, you know your cholesterol is a little high. You you can't buy it with yours. Why don't you can buy that? And that's where they're going. This thing is about control, in my opinion, totally. Absolute control. Well, generally speaking, when it comes to uh, the issue and control of money, that is really the end result. That's the right? deal, that, right? That is the end goal, one That's way the or deal. the other. To control a country, <clears throat> I mean, I remember the arguments over the central banks in 1812 and the fight of Andrew Jackson in the 1830s. Yeah. It was basically that, you know, the European bankers looked at the U.S. and said, okay, you know, we tried militarily to overrun and take over a nation. We lost. You know, we lost the war. Huh. So they're independent. Um, you know, we're going to try the War of 1812. We revisited. And again, they were pushed back. They didn't make it. So they kind of accept the notion that, okay, if we can't overrun a country militarily, how else can we control the people within a nation? And then, you know, you have those quotes that have come out, Give me the power to control a nation's currency. I don't care who makes I the care laws. I not what laws you make, right? So <laughs> J.P. Morgan, the idea is very clear that 
Well, you can certainly control a country if you control their currency. So this battle has been being fought, you know, forever. And the idea of gaining control uh, it is the biggest single concern I have about a digital world. I understand. It's exactly what you're talking about is social engineering, not only politically, you know, but for everything from the smallest item down to denying my right to buy a pizza because my cholesterol is too high to try to shape the political landscape by forcing people to sure. follow a particular trend. And look what the, yeah, look or, what happened with this FTX in Ukraine and the Democratic, all the money that flowed into this election. That's exactly sure. what they did. They were laundering money through Ukraine to support Democrats, uh, you know, a month ago. <laughs> so think back about now how smart it looks to have a money system based on gold and silver. Yeah, you think? <laughs> wow. Right. Wow. No yeah. third party control. The value is established by the weight of the physical metal itself. Yes, yeah, sir. It can't be inflated without actually producing more of the actual asset. The public can earn a dollar today, put it away for 20 years, and still have the same buying power. And no government can interfere with its marketing value. And why we don't have that as a standard anymore should be something that people question every day. Right. Why we accept the notion of paper money that is but, unbacked. Let me ask, before 1933, was that a, was that a workable... Um, a model that you would endorse before 33? Okay, it, it was backed by a dollar. It was backed by a sure. gold, sorry. And I mean, redeemable dollar for dollar. There was no difference in a $20 paper note and a $20 St. Gaudens. Oh, that was good. They were identical. You could exchange one for the other anytime you wanted to. It was at your discretion. But the thing is that those notes that you held, those paper notes, you knew they were not merely pieces of unbacked paper you knew there was something substantive that backed its value, which gave you full confidence to hold them. Why wouldn't you? But they were still created by the, by the Federal Reserve Bank private rather than the Treasury. So that's where we did lose. We lost the deal then in 13, right? We did. Yeah, we but lost. again, for the public's point of view, what did they that care? didn't matter. Yeah, they didn't care, right? It, yeah. it made no difference because they made the transition seamless because it was still a redeemable asset. It was after 1933 that things began to become clearly different. Because at that point, the fundamental change was the promise of redeemability was altered. Yeah. We were now told that, <coughs> excuse me, regardless of previous promises, that paper note you're holding is still backed by the gold it was yesterday. You just can't have. You just can't have. So, so one have. one might yeah, argue if you're if you're a tinfoil hatter as I am, that when they did this thing at thirteen, that they knew that the thirty three move was going to happen at some point. Oh, absolutely. They had to know, yeah. right? What well, what argument yeah. did they use in thirty three, Freddie? Do you know to say, okay, uh, you, we're going to no longer let you trade in your dollars for gold? What did they tell the people? The Great Depression was the problem. Oh, nineteen twenty nine, and then they said. What? Here's the solution. We have an economic disaster uh, on our hands. Okay. We have a massive <laughs> unemployment problem. We have debt going up like crazy. Right. We have a country that is completely falling apart economically. We have the worst economy we've seen, and there's public outcry for a solution. Those rascals. Every resolution was offered. Here's the solution. Allow us to print money Without backed gold. by gold but remove your ability to redeem it and we can print enough money 
to put the economy back to work and solve this shortage of capital. Because at that point <clears throat> in 33, unlike now, they couldn't simply print money to solve all the economic issues. They had to have gold in reserve to do that first. Right. But there wasn't a sufficient supply of gold. And those that had the paper money were redeeming it for the actual gold as this problem became clearer and clearer. Mostly it was the central bankers first online. Because as you said, even as early as 1913, they knew where this was going. <laughs> they knew. Wow. So when this problem became really dramatic, yeah. it was the bankers first online at the treasury window looking to redeem all these notes for the gold. But the, here, the issue was then, to prevent a note from being redeemed more than once, if they did turn in a $100 or $20 bill for its equivalent gold value, the note was destroyed. Oh, they just burned it. Wow. Ripped it, turned it, burned it, yeah. destroyed it completely. So what happened is, is that you've got a two-way vacuum. All the money turned into the treasury being destroyed, all the gold being sucked out of the treasury's supply, left two things simultaneously. A literal absence of cash. There was technically and literally no money in the economy. People oh, literally oh, this did is, not have you, So let money. me see if I understand. You're saying that there are people that knew this was happening, and that's what... That's how they created the Great Depression. They sucked the money now, out. The biggest creation of it was the redemption of notes for ah. gold. An absence of <clears throat> subsequent absence of cash in an open economy. People couldn't get paid. <clears throat> employers literally did not have the physical money to give to employees to make their payments. They couldn't put deposits in their bank to write checks. There literally was no money in circulation. That's a depression, depression. by definition. So how did the why did the people how did the people know with just some limited newspapers and stuff that this was going on and they were really uh, turning in your dollars? How did they know? Do we? Well, well, President Roosevelt issued a direct statement and an executive order in 1933 and made that statement public. It no, no, I understand. But it, my question was. How did the people know that they wanted to get this gold now because this thing was going to end? Well, they, a lot didn't. It okay. was those that were in power and uh, who had the understanding ahead of time. The, the in crowd, right? They to see a rat. Yeah. yeah, they smelled a rat. <laughs> but it was the central bankers first. I see. Because they knew what they had done. And they didn't want to get caught holding the paper money they knew they had <laughs> just destroyed. So they were first online to Jeez. redeem it for gold. God. So now the public is left with this absence of cash the depression has gone on for years, and suddenly we have offered now a solution. The solution is, I can solve this economic problem if you are willing to accept the following. You'll have your paper money. Mm. It'll be backed by gold. Mm. Just don't ask for it. <laughs> if you accept the idea that we promise to sustain this relative relationship between the amount of gold reserves and the amount of paper in circulation, we can move forward. And the public went for it. They went for it. Well, what were Why they going to do, though, really? I mean, were they, the public, they couldn't have said no. They're just going to do it, no, right? There was no chance. <laughs> and they wouldn't have because everybody wanted the depression to end. Right. So we went forward and accepted that notion. Yeah. And very quickly, that promise to sustain the relationship between gold and the amount of paper money, since the public couldn't redeem it anymore, uh, began to get wider and wider. Suddenly, there was more and more money being created, and the quantity of gold against the amount of money started to get wider and wider and wider. 
Here we are. By the 1950s <laughs> and 60s, we were down to maybe 70% and then 60%. By 1970, it got so bad, it became clear that we couldn't possibly argue that we had enough gold or silver to back the amount of money that we printed. So at that point, we simply made the announcement that, okay, here's the new game. First, we had our gold-backed money redeemable whenever you want. Then we had our gold-backed money not redeemable, but promised to be backed by gold. Now we're simply just going to have paper money unbacked. And guess what? You're just going to have to accept the idea. We won't go nuts printing <laughs> but, money. But between, yeah. but between 33 and 72, my understanding that uh, people outside the country could get their gold. Yes. Correct? Okay. Yes. That's what really happened when Nixon took the thing off the gold standard in 72, right? Sure, and that's why from 33 to 71, you didn't see any pushback from foreign countries. Uh. They weren't concerned about the problem because they could still redeem those U.S. dollars for gold. Hmm. But by 1971, when they were told suddenly that window is closing, imagine how aggravated the oil-producing countries, which have been forced to stockpile billions and billions yeah. of U.S. dollars. And they said, we can't get our gold? Cash <laughs> pile that's backed by gold, and now suddenly it's not. And you just have to accept that? Did you think that was just going to go by unnoticed? Well, we had strong pushback, and it created a lot of problems. Yeah, and I think, I think didn't, wasn't that what the Arab oil embargo thing was about yes. in 72 or 71? That was the response of the oil-producing countries to being told suddenly that, hey, you know, I know we burned you, but, <laughs> but sorry. <laughs> That's what did they tell us? I don't recall. I, I was around, of course, um, in 72, at a, working at a St. Louis radio station, and remember the gas lines. But um, I don't remember what we were sold on the news why that was. Do you, do you remember why they, what they well, said? Well, basically, it was just merely a, a, <laughs> a conversation that was tried to be made very subtly that simply suggested that, well, you know, we don't really need this old gold-silver standard nonsense anymore. It's antiquated and unnecessary. A government needs to have a little more flexibility in its currency and the only way to establish that is to give us the freedom to be able to print money that's unbacked. But you can trust us. We won't go awry with this new ability to simply print money. Uh, so and, so what, what was the argument they, they told us uh, on the news of why there were gas lines? Do you remember? Well, I think that was simply the, you know, uh, the bad, blame the bad the oil, Arab, yeah. bad bad oil people. Yeah, yeah, it was the you know the bad bad oil producing countries that were just <laughs> Fred's just getting me. Fred's just getting over a cold. That's okay. I am ninety nine percent back. Um, but yeah, the argument was it was just the bad bad oil people, right. you know, being nasty and, <laughs> nasty. and being greedy. <laughs> That's all. They were being greedy and they wanted to raise the price of oil. Uh, and he didn't want that to happen. Yeah, I think so. I remember that. I think this is an email from Kevin. Since we could never go back to a metal-backed currency in today's world, decentralized digital money is the best we can do, right? Well, I don't know that it's, it changes anything. All right. So the way I see it, let's say tomorrow we had a central bank digital currency, 
instead of paper notes. What would change effectively? Same thing. The public standpoint is really nothing, right? So if I go, for example, and use my credit card today, there's no cash transfer there. There's no cash involved in that transaction. Merchant takes my credit card number. I take the goods and services home. At some point, I get a bill from my credit card company. I write a check, which comes out of my checking account. You know, again, nothing has changed in terms of and and, yeah. and 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 as you know, Fred, you've taught us and Andrew that it's all digital anyway. What ninety six percent of these dollars are all just blips on your computer. That's all they are, you know. Sure, <laughs> that's all they are. So the only thing that changes is the way the money looks. Yeah. So instead of getting paid and taking a check to my bank and cashing it, and the banker handing me hundred dollar bills, right? Instead, I will see a credit of X amount of central bank digital currency let's call them dollars that have now been added to whatever I'm carrying. Maybe it's uh, my phone or maybe it's a, <laughs> right. a card or however that's going to physically function. That technology has yet to be exactly defined or developed. That's why I think it's going to be about a decade because I think there's going to be a, a, an issue of getting the public recognizing how this is going to work and getting older elderly people to understand how money is now being transferred to them. And, and then all the people that are holding cash they're going to have to subtly say, what are they going to do? Give us a cutoff point and tell us that right. if you've got cash, it's not going to be any good after a certain date and it all has to be turned into these digital dollars. Uh, that itself is going to create a huge number of problems. Yeah, and, and the, 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 you know, the smart money is saying that it's going to be just like they do in Japan or China. And everything, I don't know if you've, I've seen some documentaries. You know, these people in China buy everything, everything right. on their phone. They got this little, what do they call that thing? It's a, you know what I mean, that thing on your phone. I don't know. Yeah, a little reader on the phone. Yeah, yeah you, I, you know, if you return some to Amazon, and you know, I could actually get it on my phone, which takes me four hours, then I can go to, you know, you go to um, UPS, and they, you just put this thing, and then it's done. This is how they buy everything in China and Japan. Sure. This is where they're going. Yeah, well, this is what they're going to do, have, right? Are a little more technologically advanced than the U.S. Than we, are, we are right. lagging a little bit. And, um, you know, again, think about this. We have an entire generation in America that has never written a check. Yeah. yeah. Never. No. Not one payment they've ever made for anything in their life has been by virtue of taking a checkbook, yeah. writing out a check to somebody, if you handed a checkbook to most 20-year-olds, I don't think they would know what to do with it. And I would argue, too, that most most people under 40, they've got this phone thing, you know, right? They're, they've got this phone thing down, and they all use it. Uh, you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't want to play with it, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Apple Pay or, you sure. know, Stripe Payments or how they're doing it. All that It stuff. is the method they have become accustomed to. And they're, Everything they're, is all digital to them anyway. So for them, the perception will be nothing uh, subtle. Yeah. You know, it, they won't see a big change. Now, you and I know behind the scenes how dramatically, though, it changes the nature of the economy. Oh, yeah. Because first of all, and most critically, every single transaction is now visible. Everything. There are no more private transactions. The, you know, from the cab driver taking the cash payment to two people meeting in a parking lot, handing goods and services and handing cash to each other, every transaction now becomes visible. How that translates in the future, 
you know, is left to the powers that be and how much they want to utilize that new ability and power. And you think, but you, like, yeah, said, like you said before, information is a new commodity. That's information. Information is the new commodity. That's information, so, yeah. Wow. wow. I mean, what that leads to potentially is sort of, uh, you know, from a conspiracy theory standpoint, it opens up a whole plethora yeah. of potential issues. So, but I hate the idea I know, that we too. lose the transparency of the amount of money that exists. We can't count it anymore. Right now, you and I can still go to the Federal Reserve's economic. We data. can look we can a little bit, Fred. right? We don't know. Even even then, we don't know, do we, Fred? How much is well, it? Well, presuming we can trust that data to be accurate, we've accepted the notion that that's truth. That is gone now. Yeah. And what does that leave us with as an economy? You know, an entire economy based upon every visible transaction being noted by a government. What would prevent them? from wanting to utilize that information to shape, uh, you know, economic play. Well, you and know, you know that it's not going to prevent them. You know that's what they want to do. I mean, come on, that's, well, what, that's what they want. You know, no matter, no matter <laughs> how much you want to sort of suppress the idea that that's their intent, that temptation seems to me to be very <laughs> large. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think so. You know, how would I not, want to utilize the information if suddenly I knew everything you did with every dollar you use and how you, would I not yeah. want to utilize that information so, to my benefit so I'm kind of thinking that maybe paper dollars and gold and silver coins would be the way to have and you know in our underwear drawer in our safe because you know with paper dollars as you said no matter what they do, you know they're going to be good for a long long time right I mean you know what I mean literally paper the only difference is they will buy less. Yeah. You know, so the paper dollar oh, then, is then less than the gold. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's subject to a change against itself. It's going to buy perpetually less. Of course. As time marches on, one well, way or the but other. But at least you're not in the bank, whereas, right? At least you're not in the right. bank. God knows what will happen right. to that. There's people that are conjecturing that if you have money in the bank and they do this CBD thing, that they're they're going to force you to switch over. It's not even going to be optional. Oh yeah, no, it's it'll not, happen without your your. Uh, um, Willingness. You believe that they're not going to offer you an option. <laughs> it's not going to be a choice. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's so they're just going to switch you know, them over. Your, your USDs are going to be CBC, CBDCs. That's all. Huh. That's it. That's ugly. You know, we'll just have to accept that notion. Which again, I think they'll have to filter over time. Oh yeah. You know, give people an opportunity. <clears throat> I just wonder how that's going to play out. You know, what's going to happen to all the underground money? Are people going to suddenly going to be? willing to admit they have all this no cash that they've had? No way. <laughs> I mean, you know, is the IRS going to be standing there looking now for all this money to come up from on the ground and, That's you know, be standing there with their hand out saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we want our fair share of taxes It's going to be a mess. It's like, going to be a mess. You know yeah. it's going to be a mess, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. let's, let's uh, kind of wrap up and, uh, um, so, let's, let's wax forward philosophically. So, let's say, we are into a mess two years from now, you know, super mess, whatever, worse than it is today, which looks like we will be. What about these gold and silver coins that we buy from Fred? Are, they, are we gonna be okay with these guys? Are we gonna be able to sell them? I'm putting your, your telephone number up. Are we gonna be able sure. to sell these somewhere if we wanna have food and we've got, you know what I'm saying? Well, no doubt about it. I mean, we'll be converting them into whatever the currency du jour is they're not going to be directly used themselves as a method of conducting commerce, rather as a store of value until such time as they're needed to be used. 
and then you convert them into whatever the currency of the day will be but their inch their value will grow as the value of them against the other forms of quote-unquote currencies is going to perpetually change for the same reason that a $20 gold coin no longer costs either $20 like it did in 33 $35 like it did in 71 $100 like it did in 78 mm. but now $2,500 for a mint condition $20 gold coin it will continually buy more goods and services moving forward as these other quote-unquote currencies are again you know filtered through and are inflated heavily. which is the whole point so, of real money gold and silver it is that is going to traditionally it's always gone up in value it's never gone down and currencies digital or paper have always gone down always absolutely Absol and they will get much worse <laughs> if we move all digital <laughs> yeah. and as the government <laughs> debt rises and as the need for government spending continues to grow, all these things together, hmm. even if there isn't another exogenous event years from now that we can't predict today, like COVID or something else that we can't see coming, or another 2008 debacle, I believe there will be more of these kinds of events happening more frequently going forward. Because again, I believe there's a mass massive gap between reality and perception that is gonna keep biting us in the ass from time to yeah. time. Yeah. And the problems have gotten so big and the numbers are so large that they're not going to be minor blips. They're going to be major overturns in the economic environment. So we should be prepared. And if I've learned one thing after 38 or 39 years, hmm. diversifying one's assets to include some physical wealth has been a safe haven and a wealth protection method that has been proven successful. And I would definitely encourage people who are sitting on any quantities of cash to not hold on to that if it's money you don't plan on using for the next five years. Put it now into physical assets like gold and silver coins that they cannot produce more of. Like the crypto, we understand they, there are no more that can be made, but the difference with the actual American gold and silver coins, we don't have to figure out whether or not there will be a value, whether there will be demand, whether there will be interest in people who want these. That already exists and has since the 1790s. That demand's already there and tremendous and growing against the supply that is not. That's a pretty strong track record. And um, so the question that comes up every now and then is, well, if things really get silly, you know, let's just use that term, are there always gonna be people that want to buy these gold and silver coins? And well, it, the more silly it, it, things get, the more demand there will the be. The more there is. Words. Tell folks why that is. Just, just, just well, think about the small percentage of people in America now holding gold or silver. Just, it's a minor, just small, macro, tiny macro, percent right? of gold. Macro. And if more people lose confidence in their paper money, right. they're going to look to an alternative. As an example, look at what happened around the world when their currencies around the world were faltering. They looked for an alternative. And, so and, the and some of the Bitcoin. South American place actually went to Bitcoin, you know, because they didn't anything. They didn't anything Look for anything, <laughs> anything but so, but their pesos, right? Yeah. And a lot of this demand is going to go into American gold and silver coins because it's going to make sense to people to buy something that has this proven track record mm -hmm. that is a government issued currency that is made of a perfectly intrinsic metal that has value, something that's been around gold and silver for thousands of years 
as a method of storing wealth and money for good reason, because it has certain properties that give it value that already exist. Limit, and we don't limited have value, right? Uh, hard to hard to get out of the ground and transportable, transportable, and you can't. It's hard to destroy. Divisible, yeah, yeah. and it can be divided. Right. You know, you can take an ounce of gold and stretch it into a mile wide wire. You could take an ounce of gold and cut it in half, and the equal parts are worth exactly half of the whole. And it can be reassembled back to its original form cool. without losing any value. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So, which is why you got you and Andy got into this thing. 40 years ago, right? You just, you, right. you, you kind of knew it. You kind of. Just fascinated by the idea that we have a fixed supply, real valued currency that exists. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's available, the public should take that opportunity at heart and own it themselves. Own this physical asset, the end product. It's not a derivative against something else. It is the something else. <laughs> it is, it is the thing that actually <laughs> is of value not a representation of something that purports to have value or something we have to speculate of, of, of the in, nature of it. In value. your business, U.S. Coin Capital, have you talked to people six months or a year that are beginning to get this? And is your business growing because of this? More and more every day. Really? I mean, the number of people that are waking up they to this it. on a regular basis right. is phenomenal. Wow. Um, I've never seen such a rapid increase in the concern of the general public about the form of money since the 1970s it is just really coming to a point at which people are paying attention and unfortunately it happens because of exacerbated events like we needed to have a nine percent inflation rate before people woke right. up as well wait a minute yeah, well, what's, this going, is insane. what's going on here what's going on so they start backtracking and if they do that they just keep on rolling back and rolling back and eventually come to the understanding of what created this problem in the first place and then they come to understand it all boils down to this fundamental flaw of paper money. It just exists as a form of currency with a fundamental problem. That problem being it does not retain value over time. Understanding that, everybody should recognize why would you store your wealth in a form you know will not retain the you same know. value over you, time. You just know. You know that's going to happen yeah. in the future. It's wow. going to get weaker. Pretty trippy. So I'm not suggesting people divorce themselves of all of their money, but a percentage of what you're putting away should be in the physical, tangible form. I have put together a couple of really yeah, cool specials. I've got them here. The yeah, yeah, look at this. Yeah, kind of fun. So tell folks what we got. And you can go on U.S. Coin Capital uh, uscoincapital.com yep. and then go into specials and then you can look and at these three oh, pretty which are available uh, and I will say this it is an, as long as supplies last issue you only got a limited but supply yeah, three really cool specials for people just you know for the holiday stuff yeah a lot of people that like to do this for uh, holiday reasons uh, a lot of people give this stuff away as gifts or to help educate new people a lot of people say you know i'm buying a bunch of these because i want people to see what a real silver dollar looks like so i give these away to my nieces my nephews my family members my co-workers and then there are those that are again at this point thinking about it's the end of the year uh i think i should be doing something to diversify my wealth because we're really worried about what 2023 is going to bring so yeah three wonderful little specials silver special number one includes a roll of the peace dollars that are all uncirculated just have never been graded so they're just what we call raw coins they're beautiful in a roll 20 coins 
along with that, some that have actually been graded and certified, Mint State 63s, that package is 1120 bucks. Then we have a gold and silver package that we put together that includes two, one each of the different varieties of American $10 gold coins. The Indian head gold coin, the Liberty head gold coin, both have been graded by NGC as Mint State 63, a good solid mint condition coin, sealed in the NGC holders, and along with that, some Mint State 65 graded Morgan Silver Dollars. Nearly pristine coins. That's a great little package, just under $6,059.95. And then for those that are looking to add some gold, I have a number of these completed eight-piece gold eight sets. Eight-piece so gold sets, wow. Yeah. Hmm. A two-and-a-half, five, ten, and twenty dollar of the Liberty Head design. So those are all prior to 1907. And then after the switch of design to the Indian Heads, we have one of each of the Indian Head gold pieces, the two-and-a-half, five, ten, and, of course, uh, the twenty dollars known as a St. Gaudens. So it's one of each of the Indian head and Liberty head type coins, eight coins total. It's known as the eight piece gold set. All of those NGC graded as MS64, and that package is available for $15,000. So, so if you go to uscoincapital.com and look under special offers, you'll see pictures of all these and everything. Kind of, we really did a nice job laying that thing out. So, on this holiday special, are these little guys all in individual? Plastic? Uh, on the AP Sculpt set, everyone is NGC graded. Okay. Hmm. Everything else is as pictured. Okay. Uh, all the silver coins that are in the original number one package, the ones that are graded are the mint state examples, MS63 piece dollars. The others that are uncirculated are just in, an, in a roll. Yeah. They are not great. But and they are all uncirculated. First ones would be good for, for kids and grandkids, right? You know, something like that. And, Oh, yeah. Stocking stuffers, as they say. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Or just an inexpensive way to buy a little silver to put away for your future. Sure. Yeah, it is a very nice way to do it. We watch the prices of these things continue to climb this year. Um, Premium is, interestingly, have finally subsided a bit on the pre-64, pre-65, dimes, quarters, and halves. I think that's something that we can take advantage of, too, at this point. Um, I do have regular bags of what we always refer to as junk silver available slightly less premium than we saw over the summer uh, i think again that's one of these things that just happens temporarily from time to time yeah, yeah. but the price of silver is going up so it's sort of about evened out but anyway lots of good opportunities for people to acquire some physical well, these days we're off to 2023 and if you uh if you think there's the, years yeah if you believe anything that some of these top-line gurus the rubinis of the world jamie diamonds all the other yep. ones Man, they, there's not a whole lot of really bullish people out there about what's you know, going to happen. People right? to, you know, Jeremy Siegel, Siegel. Jeffrey Gunlack. Yeah. You know, these guys are they're smart, they're well-versed. Smart. They really understand what's happening, and they're immune to, I think, what is this prevalent nonsense of distractions that help people almost ignore a lot of what's happening in the economy. You know, and again, I will bring up the idea that I believe going forward, you know, I, I barely make predictions. I think I made one in the last episode about I thought the dollar index had peaked. Right. Um, I think at this point now, if I'm going to say anything about 2023, it's going to be that quantitative tightening is going to be a much bigger problem than economic 
people are anticipating. The idea that the Fed believes that they have to sell off some of these treasury bonds and nobody wants to buy them. That's the problem. Right. That they're going to somehow <clears throat> divide, diverse themselves of trillions of dollars of treasuries in an economy where the government is trying to raise money simultaneously because it's blowing through money at a higher pace than ever before. Right. And this debt to GDP ratio should not be ignored. When a government is spending a dollar twenty for every dollar it brings in, this is a huge problem. And remember, the IMF defines a country in a problem if the seventy-seven percent GDP to debt ratio is achieved. If we're spending seventy-seven percent of the money we bring in paying off our debt, beyond that, it is considered a huge problem. And yet we are now 120% of our GDP hmm. to our debt ratio. Are there other countries in this sad of shape as far as GDP ratios? Do you know? Uh, yeah, most of them don't survive very well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, and their internal problems tend to implode and end up with uh, you know massive public outcry, rallies in the streets, I mean, huge outcries from the public as they begin to feel the impact because unlike the United States, most other foreign countries don't have the backstop of having their currency as the world's reserve currency. It, yeah. We can get away with this for longer. Because people want our dollars around the world, right? They have to buy our dollars. You know, we don't leave them an option. And I, again, if I were a conspiracy-minded person, <laughs> you know, I could easily suggest that this dollar rally we saw over the summer was a strong-arming effort of the central bank to uh, push other industry uh, industries, banking systems, to accumulate U.S. dollars. Well, I think to, to procure to the fact that we're about to experience a, a weaker U.S. Central dollar. banks may know something. The World Gold Council is out this morning saying that 31 tons of gold were purchased by the central banks just in October alone. And all the Mideast countries are the biggest buyers. UAE, Afghanistan, all those countries. They understand gold more than... I think so. Yeah. You know, and again, with all the money out there floating around and everybody inflating their currency, if you know that the currency is being inflated, you want to stockpile something. Something besides it. And if you don't want to be force-fed U.S. dollars, you're going to look for other options. You know, and listen, there's a reason gold and silver have been around for thousands of years. The reason people believe in it as a method of being a wealth protection asset, uh, I firmly believe in it, and I have a lot more faith in the future value of a mint condition $20 gold coin that cannot be reproduced, and I haven't minted one since 1933, than I do in the value of, you know, cash money that I earn. Of course, yeah. So that's what Fred does for a living. I'll show you his number again, and you know, uh, you can just give him a call and talk to Fred or some of his team, or one of his team, 800-878-2646, and uh, Fred will take the time and talk to you about what you got going on in your life and what you might need or want to do and how much you want to spend, and he'll, he'll work with folks, right? Have, and kind of show them the way, Fred? Absolutely. Absolutely. We spent a lot of time taking the position that we want the public to understand so that they can make an informed decision, I guess is the best way to look at it. And unfortunately, <clears throat> there's a broad gap between you know what people hear on the news and, and the reality. So I, th I think if people understand the nature of money better, then they would understand what options make more sense. If they're lured into the idea that 
there's nothing flawed with paper money mm-hmm. and that owning stocks and bonds is you know the method of choice for an average investor that's what they're going to choose but i think more and more people are beginning to see there's a there's an issue there to be addressed yeah because and we do our know, best to help people and we're seeing it. more and more kind of better information even the mainstream i mean it's leaking out you can only hold back you know the good stuff so long you know <laughs> you know no doubt yeah people are beginning to get it you know okay kiddo well thanks have a nice holiday if we don't talk to you what are you guys going to do around the holidays you can be there be there i'm probably going to be here uh in south carolina and may have some time hopefully to go visit with some family um but, but we just hope everybody call. has yeah. a really happy and healthy and you know, a great year going forward. Exactly. Fred Dashevsky, his number is 800-878-2646. Well, thanks for staying overboard, and we started late, but it was a fun show. Thank you, Fred. Take care of yourself. Take care. You got it, Patrick. We'll Bye-bye. see you soon. Bye-bye. Fred Dashevsky in the real world of money, and for some reason, my little thing is not working. I don't know why. Let me do something here. Why isn't it working? Well... Well, there it is. I think it worked. Okay. I will see you guys in just a minute. I can't. Uh, this thing is not working. But anyway, I, I'm going to take a little break here. And then we're going to come back and play around a little bit. And uh, talk a little bit. My little buttons aren't working right, but that's okay. Okay. So uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm just going to go downstairs and maybe... Uh, Get a little bite of cheese or something. I'll be right back, and uh, we'll talk about a few things because we can. Uh, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick Timpone. I love you all. Stay right there. Uh, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.